He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everyone? Welcome into part two of a very special episode of the 73rd Hill Podcast. Taylor Williams here, Sam Humphreys, Jim Woodward out, just me, because very much like very part one, we will not be listening to very much of me talking today. It's going to be a lot of content that we had from the very second part of what was a mar- marvelous 2022 year. And just want to make sure to thank everyone for all the great feedback and support we got from part one of our 2022 year in review. But now we're going to go ahead and jump in to the second part of what was an absolutely fantastic year. So what this part will be essentially the end of May all the way through the end of the year. And we actually have more content in this episode than we did the first episode, which a lot of people will probably think, how is that possible? But we're going to have some great, great highlights of what was, like I've said many times and like everyone has pointed out to us, was a magnificent year. So we're going to go ahead and jump into a little bit of drama that we've had on the 73rd Hole Show. For anyone who's listened to our podcast or hasn't been living under a rock, you understand the debate that was the PGA Tour versus Live and all the controversies that went on on that side and all the different viewpoints that everyone can have on the topic, and there are many ways that you that you can look at the topic. But uh, the majority of me, Sam, and Woody all stand on essentially one side, and we have some other people that lean on the other. And before he left the podcast, our man Colby Powell definitely uh, was on the opposite side of how we see it. So here's what many have said is the most heated debate from the 73rd hole on the live debate, mostly between Colby Powell and Sam Humphreys. Let me just say this, guys. So, I mean, y'all know I'm, I'm anti-live. I think it's bad for golf. Is it too much to ask? And maybe it is. Maybe it is. I just want one guy to tell the truth. Just one. This whole thing has just turned into a, a bunch of already very rich golfers going to get even richer and just lying through their teeth about all of it. Is it too much to ask for just one guy to tell the truth and be like, look, they gave Don't me a hold the truth. Don't hold the truth. I the last person to tell the truth got crucified. Phil, Phil, did not tell the truth. Phil did not tell the truth. Phil said the quiet part out loud about Saudi Arabia, but he did not tell the truth. He still tried to talk about growing the game and all this nonsense. He wanted the money. That's what they're he trying to the do. Money. No, they're not. It's about the money. Yes, it's <laughs> obviously about the money, Colby, and that's how he's trying to grow the game. He's With trying money. to get guaranteed contracts in golf. Exactly. Thank you for proving the point. Yeah, it's not about growing the game. If they were being offered a million dollars more, that's how you're growing. That's how you grow money. Is how you grow professional golf. If they were being offered one million dollars more by Live Golf than they're being offered by the PGA Tour, nobody would be going. They are going Kobe. because of two hundred million dollars. That's why Phil wants. It's not to grow the game. I just want one guy to tell the truth. One Guy. That's how you're supposed to grow the game of professional golf is by guaranteed money. It's the third biggest sport in the world right now, and you're not giving out guaranteed contracts. That's how you grow the game. 
Yeah, you're talking about the PGA Tour giving out guaranteed money. I'm talking about these guys leaving the tour only for the money. They're only leaving for the money, but they want to feed us all these lies. I'm tired of the lies. It's about the money. We all know The it. lies are coming from the PGA Tour. They have $40 million to just piss away in the PIP. Yeah, and the Saudis just spent $500 million on Bryson, DJ, and Phil. And you're talking about $40 million pip. It's, it's exactly. not even the playing and field. That's what I'm saying. Is the, the PGA Tour should have been paying these guys more money for years, but they haven't been. It's been going to guys like Jay Monahan and a bunch of other entities like the Golf Channel. The PGA, and those Tour, contracts. the PGA Tour does not have a billion dollars to lose in a season of golf. Liv does. Liv has a billion dollars that they can just lose. The PGA Tour can't do that. Exactly. I understand that. He does. Go ahead. <laughs> right, so I, 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 just, I just, so, I mean, gosh, dang, where did I even start with all that? I mean, that was, that was pretty awesome listening to. I, I guess, Colby, I, I think the main thing that I want to ask you for someone who doesn't like live is that aren't we past the point now to where, because I, I get back at Riviera, we were saying, well, yeah, obviously the Saudis are bad and they probably shouldn't start this and players who go over there are bad and all that. But we're past that point now. So since we start to try to think of ways that the live could be better for the PGA Tour, and to make everyone be buddy-buddy because it does, they're not going anywhere, Colby. I think that's the thing we have to accept now. And I think that's two people – that's the main thing I'm seeing with people who are just against live is that they want the tour to magically vanish away overnight, and that's not going to happen. So, I mean, what are some good remedies that we could have to where this tour could actually not hinder the game like a lot of people think that it might? I don't know because there's never going to be a partnership between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. There's never going to be a partnership between Live Golf and the DP World Tour because both tours have already taken such a strong stance against that tour and against where that money is coming from that those tours are never going to be they're never going to be buddy buddy. So, I mean, at this point, the best players in the world are still on the PGA Tour. That's really what, what I'm talking about here is Bryson last week talking about I can't take the risk. I want to play with the best players in the world. And then five days later, he calls up Jay Monahan and tell him he's going to live. So you, you just lied through your teeth to us at the memorial. It, it's not it, you can take a risk like that. It's not about playing with the best players in the world. The best players in the world are in Canada this week. So it's just and, and, it's just and, lying through his teeth. And Kobe, I'll just say this though: if I can put, I agree with what you're saying entirely. I, I don't like the not being truthful part, but this happens in every other sport, doesn't it? I mean, we we saw with Kevin Durant when OKC is like, oh, I, you know, I love this place. He never said he was going to stay 100. percent but there's, there's athletes who say they'll stay, and then two weeks later they're with a new team. So it's, this isn't something that's just new to sports in general. It's just new to golf. And so I, I think that it's just something we never had to embrace because people weren't like, oh, well, I'm going to leave the PGA Tour to go play the European Tour. Like, that never happened. Or I'm going to leave the European Tour to go play the Sunshine Tour. You know, that just never happened. So it's just something that whenever the PGA Tour now has competition, they have to find some way to do it. And, you know, guys, I'll say this. I, I don't think that players left because of the way the PJ Tour handled it. But I think it pissed a lot of players off that the PJ Tour tried to come have such a hard stance against us. And the European Tour, I'll throw them in there as well. DP World Tour, I'm sorry. These guys are independent contractors, and they want to be able to go play where they want when they want it. They have a governing body who technically they're not employees of that's going to tell them what to do. I don't know, Woody. Don't you think that that made a lot of players pretty upset? Well, I'm I'm kind of giggling. I'm sorry if I was giggling too loud when I was listening (laughs) to you guys because uh, you know what? We were worried about the dog days of summer. What were we going to talk about? Well, life changes. And Colby, I I agree with the lying part of it. But let me let me just 
explain one thing to you, and we won't go into politics or anything else, but Jay Monahan and the, I don't even know who the, the guy is in charge of the DP tour. I should. I'm sorry, I don't. But you don't think they can lie? Hey, I oh, sit no, and watch the president. Yeah, we watch the president of the United States lie to us every day. Guys, that is our society. Nobody wants to take accountability. Everybody will lie. And at some point, we need to bust these guys for lying. <laughs> what we really need to do. And, Colby, you're 100% correct. Yes, tell us. Yes, tell us. Quit blowing smoke up our vannies. You know what I'm saying? If it's the money which we pretty sure it is guys because i i don't know of any of these guys would leave unless this money was just oh, stupid and it is stupid right now but to say that they will never get in bed i beg to differ i'm gonna tell you with every guy that goes with every what we call the names that leave the PGA Tour is going to have to do, and so will the DP Tour. They're going to have to do one of two things. They're going to have to fold, or they're going to have to learn to get along. Guys, they got to figure this out. And being the bully, I talked about it last week, you know what? They got kicked in the balls, like I said, and they right now got ice packs on them going, yeah, they'll heal. But they better be careful because they're going to get kicked over and over again, and you can only put so much ice on it. You know what I'm saying? I- yeah, I agree. Woody, I would say that I don't necessarily see what Bryson said as a lie about wanting to play with the best players in the world. You look at just this week, both tournaments are top-loaded. I mean, look at the RBC Canadian Open. Mark Hubbard is 8,000 on DraftKings. I mean, Mark Hubbard's no world beater. I think that both tours are going to have top-loaded fields. And, you know, I think competition does grow the game. And, I I mean, take that where you want it, guys. But, I mean, to me, I, I, I see it week in, week out, that the PGA Tour is a little overrated about playing the best players in the world when, you know, every tournament's just top-loaded anyways. Yeah, I, I think the I, reason, I, just real quick, I think the reason that I'm so worked up about it is because it's just been an exhausting week where three straight days – Everything that I have read coming out of London from a player is a lie. All of it. And it's just, it's been an exhausting week of of reading these guys' statements as they try to jump through hoops to justify their decision. Just tell us, hey, they gave me $30 million to play eight golf tournaments. Are you serious? I'm supposed to turn that down? I would have so much more respect for a guy who said that than, than the stuff that's coming out of London this week. I always love to hear a great PJ Tour versus Live debate, and I don't think those are going to go away anytime soon. As long as the two entities are still around, I believe that there will be plenty of controversy and debates to be had on the topic. So we'll go ahead and move on to what was a long, extensive, great list of interviews that we had for the for the, 20, the end of 2022. And we'll go ahead and start with an interview that we had on May 25th. We had Oklahoma Golf Hall of Famer and five-time PJ Tour winner. Danny Edwards on the show, and uh, we actually talked about a few things that weren't necessarily related to golf. So this is a small clip from our interview back then of his of Danny Edwards' love for race cars. I want to uh, I want to change gears a little bit because your book okay. talks about you and uh, race car driving, and I'm curious how that yeah. came to be. You know, what level did you accomplish in racing? You said you want to be great at everything you do. So how did that happen, and kind of what were the results of your race car driving career? Well, that's a great question. It, uh, I really started 
I, I was always interested in cars, guys, muscle cars. I could tell you every muscle car on the road that makes the model. My mom used to go crazy when I'd holler out 67 GTO 396, you know, or 442 or something, Oldsmobile. And so I just love cars, and, and the idea of racing was just something that appealed to me, the speed, the danger. Uh, and then when I got to know Roger and, of course, went to his races, that even, you know, uh, made me more interested in it. So I finally decided to get a Formula Ford. Uh, which is an open-wheel, single-seater, like an Indy-type car, except several levels below in speed. And I took it up to uh, – the first place I took it to was Dallas for the driver's school. It was really freezing cold, so I got in it, got it all ready, and got up to the front. I was uh, the first guy in the in the practice lap, and I took out the very first turn. I slid off into a ditch and had to sit there the whole time. And so I got the car back to the pits after the session was over, and the marshals came over and they said, uh, you know, uh, you have to warm tires up a little bit when it's cold like this before they'll stick through the road. And so I learned some things the hard way, but uh, uh, I ran the uh, I ran the big race that I won was the June Sprint, which every year is held in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, at a at a phenomenal track, a four mile road course uh, called Elkhart Lake uh, Road America. The Indy cars run there, the NASCAR cars run there. There were 125 Formula Fords qualified. Uh, I had the fastest lap. I sat on the pole and led every lap and won the race. John Solheim was there. The ping was sponsoring my car. So I get out and I shake the hands and, uh, you know, enjoy the trophy and go down to Milwaukee and get on a flight to Houston. And the next morning, I'm out at the Houston Open getting ready to play the Houston Open golf tournament. I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's not one single guy here at the golf tournament that has any earthly idea what I just did. Danny, that's so awesome. So I've, I've gotten really into Formula One the last couple of years. Just yeah. curious, with, with your history, are you a Formula One guy? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, I, you know, you get as old as I am, you've got stories on most things. I got a call from the, the director of the – Phoenix Formula One race back in the, uh, oh, that would have been in the mid-80s. And he said, Danny, uh, Alain Prost, uh, Derek Work, and Nigel Mansell are coming to town for the F1 race. They're all golfers. Would you take them out to play golf? I said, of course I would. So I took them out to experience a couple rounds. And Nigel said, well, come on down to the racetrack tomorrow. Uh, before qualifying, I'll let you sit in my F1 Ferrari. And I said, oh, that'd be cool. So I get down there. It's a couple hours before they're qualifying. So I get in there and he says, well, go ahead and sit in the car, get in there. Well, I put one leg over the cockpit of that car, and I had six Italian guys on me so fast you couldn't believe it. They said, no, 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 absolutely not. Nigel said, come on, no big deal. He races. He's not going to hurt him. Oh, no, impossible. Nigel said, no, get out of the way. Let him in. So I got to sit in the Ferrari Formula One car, Nigel Mansell's car, in the garage probably an hour and a half before qualifying. I might be the only American a golfer that has ever sat in a Ferrari on on uh, in the garage getting ready to, to go out and qualify for a Formula One race. One of my favorite things about not just our show, but podcasts in general, is just the different stories and different content that you can get on, on from anyone that you talk to. And so it, it's just marvelous to get to hear different insights, just like Danny Edwards there and how his just love for race cars just was just such a passion to him. You could just hear the enthusiasm in his voice when he talked about it. It was truly, truly special. And now that we, we got a little bit off, off gear, as Colby said earlier, which I thought was a, a nice pun towards the, uh, towards the racing, we're going to get into a story, one of my favorites that I heard, all year. This was from an interview that we had back on June 13th. This was Willie Wood talking about when he got to play with Arnold Palmer 
in the Masters. This is an absolute marvelous story. I, I still I still laugh and I'm still giggling right now as I'm getting ready to ask the question. You played the Masters one time with Arnold Palmer, did you not? Yeah. And and there was a part of that round back on the back nine that I'd like you to tell our audience you because kidding? very few that. well, very few people even got to meet Arnold Palmer, let alone play golf with Arnold Palmer, let alone play golf with Arnold Palmer at Augusta National. You need to tell this story because I think it'll make people understand just how much Arnold Palmer is the king and how down to earth a man he really was. Well, okay, we we played Thursday and Friday together, and on Thursday I was kind of grinding it out, trying to play good. I was been struggling a little bit in '99, and uh, he he was just kind of in his own little world and walking along the ropes and, and high-fiving people and shaking hands and looking at the ladies. And uh, He comes up to me on Friday, and he puts his arm around me and says, uh, Willie, are you mad at me? I said, no, sir, I'm not mad. He goes, oh, good. I, I thought you were mad. I said, no, I'm just trying to make this cut. I'm, I'm sorry. And I think to myself, man, I better be, I better be a little more friendly. I mean, so I, I started engaging in conversation with him. And by the back nine, we got we got pretty pretty close. He, we started talking about the ladies in the in the gallery and and this and that, and he liked that. And um, I saw him. I, I saw him about three months later, and I said, "Hey, Mr. Palmer, I just want to apologize. I was going through a divorce at the time, and um, I wasn't myself." And he goes, "You know, I knew there was something wrong. Are you doing okay now?" And I said, "Yes, I am. I'm doing fine, thanks." Uh, and the fact that he cared. Uh, about little old me was amazing because he was he was the king and that's why he was so loved by people because he he truly cared about people and uh, I, I wished I'd gone to his funeral because he uh, he meant so much to to the game of golf it would been it had been <clears throat> something I really wished I had done. Not many people can say they got to play with Arnold Palmer at Augusta National. Really, really great to have Willie Wood on the show and always gracious of his time. An absolute Oklahoma legend Willie Wood is. Everyone says he's the best putter of all time, and for what I've seen, I will not argue with that statement until I see someone better. Maybe maybe Cam Smith has a chance to beat him out, but that would be one hell of a putting, putting contest. And now I'm going to get on to a, another great player that we had on the show, another guy that plays up at Oak Tree. That is uh, Oklahoma Christian alumnus, Rian Gibson. That's where I played my college golf, spent a lot of time with Rain up there, an absolute fabulous guy. And uh, we had him on just a little bit after uh, all the PGA Tour and Lyft stuff really broke. This was back from an interview we did on August 8th with him, and here are just some of his thoughts that he had on the two entities. If Liv called you tomorrow and invited you, would you go? Absolutely, I would. Um, and there's a couple of factors that kind of play into that. One, obviously, the money would be life-changing for myself and my, and my young family, no doubt. Um I've played three years on the PGA Tour. I've played five, maybe four years on the Military Tour. I haven't played enough. I haven't won on the PGA Tour, so I'm not a lifetime member. So I don't get lifetime health insurance. Uh, and, and thirdly, um, I haven't met the criteria for the five years to actually get my pension, uh, my retirement plan, which, don't get me wrong, the PGA Tour has one of the best retirement plans, but you still have to play five years to get that. Um, and that's kind of, you know, my goal is to get back out there and get two more years. So, um, for someone in my position, that kind of the three, the three aspects that I would look at for me and how it affects me uh, and my family moving forward, and it would be a no-brainer for me. Um, and that's just that's how I look at it. 
Rian, I'm curious. Obviously, we know that the live guys are upset with many things that Jay Monahan has done. Um, what What's your feel for PGA Tour players and Corn Ferry players? Are they upset with Monahan as well for how he's handled the situation? Um, look, I'm not. I can't speak for everyone. I spoke to a couple guys. Um, could have been handled a little bit differently, possibly. Uh, I see Jay's position. He's just simply trying to hold fast and, and really stand his position to keep what he's built or what the tour has built. Um, but the tour is built on more of a monopoly. They haven't had this competition, you know, and our space before. Um, could have things been handled a little bit differently? Probably. Do I think so? I think so, yes. Um, some people might fight me on that. But, you know, I guess the players' board have hired him. You know, I mean, I don't I never got a vote to vote for him, you know, whereas a lot of people are saying we are a member on tour. He's voted by the officials way higher than me. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, with his position and stuff moving forward too. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's a, tough, it's a tough question. And, and Rian, you know, I, I'm curious. You mentioned he could have done things differently, in your opinion. Name a couple examples of things that you, you feel like he could have done different. Um, I would have liked to have seen, and look, I don't I don't know how this whole live venture started, but it's my understanding that there was dialogue from the live to the PGA Tour trying to start a conversation, you know, um, it's my understanding they didn't really want to go up against the PGA Tour. This was just going to be more of eight to ten events in the fall um, when the tour wasn't necessarily playing that full schedule. Um, you know, some big events at the end of the year. And then it seemed like Jay and the PGA Tour kind of weren't open to it, just even a discussion, you know, to listen to what the ideas that they have. Because if the Saudis and the Live want to inject this much money into the tour, I mean, I think the tour may have been a little naive not to at least you know, have a conversation because that money is huge. You know, the money they're throwing out there is astronomical. And it seems like from the stance that they've gone, the live guys just turn around and said, well, maybe we don't need to partner with the PGA Tour or be associated with the tour. We can go do our own thing. And I think that's where the separation has come between the live party and the PGA Tour party um, and why our golf getting segregated right now with best players being on need to do it. You know, so that's at the end of the day, I just think when there's two competing tours, it's tough to get the best players in the world to come back together and play. And that's probably all we're going to get to see in the four majors if they still have to play them. Yeah, Rain, it seems like that the, really the big debate amongst this is, has the P, does the PGA Tour have the right to say where golfers can and can't play and when they can and when they can't? So as your own golfer, as your own independent contractor, essentially the owner of your own business, where do you stand on the fact of, of a player should be able to play in any tournament where they want, or should they be constrained to the rules of the PGA Tour? Well, it's really funny because before Liv was around, you know, if you look at a lot of the overseas players, uh, kind of myself included, like once I got done here in America, I would head to Australia and play in the Australian event. I would support my home tour. Um, you'd have guys like Holzer and Westwood that go home and play the English event. You know, so in the past, before Liv was a thing, you know, overseas players were world players. Like Ernie Els and Gary Player were kind of the very, you know, first crop to do that. So it's, as independent contractors, yeah, you're right. We, we can kind of play, you know, more or less where we want. And then all of a sudden, since Live becomes a thing, the tour says, no, we can't. So that hasn't been that way in the past. Um, so that's, that's an interesting take in 
my opinion, as to all of a sudden they're just going to stop players from playing overseas, which, you know, that's a little naive in my opinion. I feel one thing that has really been lost ever since PJ Tour Live debate has started is the difference between what the media thinks is right and what the players believe is right. And and having a player like Ryan on giving his take shows that they're that what you hear in the media isn't necessarily what the players think is best for them or what they think is best for the game of golf. So I was gracious Ryan's time's been on the PJ Tour and Corn Ferry Tour for multiple years and hopefully he can have even more continued success down the road. And someone who had a lot of success back at uh, the Corn Ferry Tour Championship in Corn Ferry season that was Oklahoma State's Austin Eckroad. He was able to finish second at the Tour Championship to secure his PJ Tour card for this upcoming season. So here is just a small clip of the interview that we had with Austin Eckroad on September 5th, just after he was able to secure his PJ Tour card. And Austin, what a week it was for you. And I heard one of the greatest quotes ever from you earlier in the week, Austin. And you said, it kind of seemed like I was walking my way back to Q School. The opportunity I have now, I didn't think it was possible 15 weeks ago. And what did you do? You go out and finish second in the last Corn Ferry Tour Finals event, and you get your PGA Tour card. What are you feeling, and, and has it even hit you yet? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a really, really crazy year so far. I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, I was, you know, two weeks ago, the uh, you know, play Monday qualifiers wasn't, I didn't really have a place to play. And, um, you know, just in the position I am now, it's, it's crazy. It didn't feel like it was possible. Austin, take us through the dynamics of yesterday. I was saying it's a fairly interesting conundrum because not only are you playing a tournament that you were in yesterday, but you're playing for New Year's stats essentially for the whole next year. So how do you go from trying to have the mindset of getting to where you have a job for next year, but also at the same time still trying to win and contend for the tournament? Yeah, yeah. yesterday was a really, really weird um, round. I mean, kind of. You know, I knew I had a chance to win, you know, especially coming down the closing stretch. You know, the, the finishing stretch is very difficult. Um, there's a, you know, big number waiting on all of them. And, you know, I was in a position where I didn't know if I should, you know, an opportunity. But, you know, I was really kind of doing damage control, making sure that, you know, I maintained my position. It was a really, you know, you don't really have that in any other round of golf. You know, if you have a chance to win, you're, you're trying to win, where I wasn't as much necessarily yesterday. Congratulations to Austin Eckroyd on getting his PJ Tour card. What an absolutely great accomplishment that is. And already having a pretty good start to the season. Played in six events during the fall and made four out of his six cuts. So he's off to a pretty decent start, and hopefully he can have some great success going into 2023. And speaking of success, probably our most successful interview of the year, and rightfully so. On September 23rd, we had what was the very first full interview with Taylor Gooch ever since he made his move over to Live Golf, and the amount of information and great insight that TG was able to give us in that interview was truly spectacular, marvelous, and could not be more thankful for TG and all the great stuff that he's done, not only for our podcast, but giving back to the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour and the state of Oklahoma. It's just absolutely beautiful, a uh, beautiful thing to see. So here's just, I mean, a very, very, very small clip, and I couldn't put, there, there's not enough time in the show to put all the content that TG gave us in that interview back on September 23rd. So I highly recommend everyone go back and listen to that interview in all of its entirety. But here's just a small clip from that interview with Taylor Gooch. I guess we'll start here. Number one, you're playing great golf right now. Four top tens out of the five events on the live. Um, I think it gets overshadowed with everything going on off the course. Number one, I just want to ask you, how does the game feel? Because it looks great. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a really solid stretch of golf and um, you know, 
there in the middle of it. Um, I played the 150th Open at St. Andrews, and, um, you know, I had a really good week, uh, minus about a four-hole stretch where I think I was four over in four holes, and, um, you know, it's just been, it's been good golf, and, um, you know, for especially for all the craziness that's been going on, it's been good to get on the course and, and go and, and perform a little bit. Yeah, TG, just, just kind of like you mentioned, you know, things have changed so much. I believe we spoke in February last time and with everything that's been going on with your life. Just kind of take us through, you know, the process from you officially going from the PGA Church to the Live. What were the, you know, conversations like between you and your team and how did you come to a final decision? Yeah, I mean, there was obviously a lot of factors involved. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I was, I, I, it was the best decision for, for me and my family. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the product that Liv has. And, um, you know, I was, I was excited about the, you know, obviously the team aspect. It's a super cool idea. I grew up playing team sports, and it's something that was very, very intriguing for me. And, um, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of factors. But at the end of the day, I was just, excited about the new opportunity and um you know obviously it was weird how it all worked out and kind of the transition and timing of everything but um you know it's it's all worked out in a, in a great way and uh you know i'm excited about you know where things are taylor what uh, are you getting comfortable now with it uh are you getting over the fact that you're supposed to be this evil person and you're just getting around to play good golf now and not worried about all the other stuff that's going on around you yeah it's 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 funny um how quickly I was this good old boy from Oklahoma that was a nice kid that <laughs> everyone liked and you know thought this family man that has this baby girl what a what a sweet couple and a sweet guy and then all of a sudden I become a villain um overnight but no it, it's um yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I keep telling people this. It's still – it's golf. It's just a different form of golf. And, and you know, when you get on the course, it, it's – golf's hard enough uh, without anything else going on. And so, you know, it's easy to get on the course and, and get locked in and, and get in – you know, get into the groove of things and try to focus on golf because, as we know, you know, golf's hard enough when that's all – you know, that's all you focus on. So uh, I, ju- I just try to, you know, get on the course and focus on, on – playing as good as I can so let's talk about the live experience because you know I haven't been to a tournament a lot of people haven't been to a tournament yet what's it like not only playing individual golf but team golf now as well and what's the atmosphere like at these live events I'm really curious yeah it's man it's just it's just uh, it's just different I don't I don't it's I keep telling all my buddies back here uh, in Oklahoma, you know, you guys got to get out and see it and feel it and experience it. Uh, it's tough to put into words, but it's 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 a little bit lighter. Uh, you have music going throughout throughout the day, throughout now, the day. Now, do you like that as a player or do you hate it? Oh, I love it. You know, I, I always challenge uh, people to f- find someone that's not at home listening to music when they're playing golf anyways you know it's that's right it's just what us golfers do and so i it's great um but yeah i mean every aspect uh from the team aspect to you know every, the, the shotgun part is is something that people have had you know different opinions about but until you see it uh it's it's hard to really kind of put it into words but man it's just it's different it's fun it's energetic uh, it's cool, and the the thing that I feel uh, the guys and play, new players that have been coming onto the scene kind of week by week, um, one of the the things you hear a lot is they say, "Man, this is like this is a younger crowd. This is you know this 
the the fans here is it's just a younger demographic and that's kind of to be honest that's what it appeals to i think uh a little bit different than you know what the the tour you know on a on a week-to-week basis pj tour has from you know the the age of the fans and um so that'd be an interesting study to see, you know, the average age of the fan at a live event versus, you know, a PGA tournament. You know, TG, kind of along the same lines, it seems like we've had five live events now. And every single week on the podcast before, we say, and this course looks absolutely phenomenal. And it just seems like the courses that you guys are playing on the live are just absolutely fabulous. How do you think that, you know, obviously the course conditions, but how did the course set up compared to what you've been used to in PGA Tour and major championships? Yeah, it was funny. The after the first couple of events, when you know the scores are are not low, and we kind of joked with them. We were like, "Man, maybe we need to get with the guys that set up the course and tell them to ease it up." So <laughs> you know, people start to think that we're actually good golfers out here because, um, man, that the courses have been tough um, and they've been set up really, really well. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, with live that um, are helping organize and run tournaments and set up courses. Uh, you know, this is not their first time doing it and they've they've worked a lot of people that have worked with the the pj tour in 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 their past uh are are now with live and so you know there's a lot of a lot of similarities from a course set up um the courses that we've been playing are are in such phenomenal shape and when you only have 48 guys playing versus 150 guys playing the courses just don't get it as beat up and so they're just they they do they last better and and are just in a, a better quality position you know come sunday than uh, you know what we're accustomed to from the PGA Tour, um, and you know obviously the PGA Tour plays amazing courses as well. Both both tours, you you get spoiled with how great the courses are, but um, it's been it's been you know a pleasant surprise and also kind of a kick in the butt at how good and how tough the courses have been so far. Once again, huge shout out to Taylor Gooch and, and thank him for all the great stuff that he's done. For us, look forward to seeing him and not only Cedar Ridge at the Live Tournament in May, but also at Augusta National. He is in the field that week, and as we covered not too long ago, the the Masters will not be banning any of the Live golfers who've already pre-qualified. So look forward to seeing all the drama and stuff that's going to go on at what will no doubt be a fabulous 2023 Masters. Now we're going to get on to another fabulous interview that we had. On September 29th, we got to interview absolute music legend Vince Gill. Him and Woody go back, way back. They played a junior golf together here in the state of Oklahoma. Had some great stories there from, from their time together. But like I said, back on September 29th, here's our interview with Vince Gill. I encourage everyone to go back and listen. It was a very, very jam-packed interview. But here's just a very, very small clip of Woody playing in Vince Gill's charity golf tournament. Tell this one story, but and I have to tell a story on him after he finishes. Uh, he paired me with a with a guy, and uh, you take Locked it from up. there, man. Oh, well, Jimmy got Jimmy. You know, he's about as he's as country as we all wish we were. <laughs> right? <laughs> so true. So we're 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 seeing off, and he's got a group, and the guy's a is a neurologist, brain surgeon, and but he's a he's a hippie. You know, he's got a ponytail halfway down to his butt, and. and uh, <laughs> They go and get themselves acquainted. And Jimmy says, "Hey, partner, what you do? What do you do?" And he says, "Well, I'm a I'm a brain surgeon." He goes, "Yeah, sure you are, and I'm a rocket scientist." He says, "What do you?" Do? <laughs> 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 I really am a brain surgeon. I just have long hair. <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, that, that, and that did happen, guys. I'm guilty as charged because I thought he was a musician. I didn't know. I mean, he didn't look anything like a neurosurgeon, okay? No, he, and he, would play, he would play rock music. He would play really loud music in the, in the OR, when he, or ER, when he would do his brain surgery because he loved rock music, and it was blaring, and they called him the rock doc. Yeah, so he, was, he was a rocker. He he was he was such a fun guy to play golf with and and he took it so well because you know a lot of times people when you make a mistake <laughs> he just started laughing but he didn't wait the rat on on me to bend let's just tell you that but there was there was one other time I had to tell this story I was playing in the Vinny and uh, Vince and I had both gone through pretty low times in our uh, love life shall we say and. Uh, <laughs> We we kind of did it almost together. It was funny how how he he had to get divorced earlier than I did, but then I followed right in his track because it looked like he had so much fun, and that's not true. It was not fun. I I really it's one of the few times I've actually seen Vince. Oh, kind of down. I, he's always been so upbeat, guys, but that was rough on him, and and uh, so I was coming to the Benny, and uh, he came up to me, and you know he was kind of scared now because he didn't know what I might do uh, with who I played with. And, buddy, he, he showed some real confidence in me. He came up to me. He said, hey, I've got somebody playing with you today, and uh, would you mind taking good care of her and help her and try to make her have a good day? And I said, her? And he said, yeah. He said, just do me this favor. And I said, buddy, I'll do anything for you. You can go back. <laughs> I said, I'll take care of this gal. I'll make sure she has a good time. And and so, you know, Woody, what he doesn't always, I, I, I know some people, but I don't know a lot of people. And so she was an attractive lady and she was just starting to play golf and she whacked that ball and she hit some really good shots and I cheered her on and we had such a good day. And he came up afterwards and he said to me, thank you so much. Amy had the time of her life. She really enjoyed your day with you. And I looked at him and I go, so what's the deal with her? And he just looked back at me and he just kind of winked. And I thought to myself, that's different. And I thought, well, you guys, if you understood what he just said, thanks for taking care of Amy. It was right. Amy Grant. I didn't know Amy Grant. I, I didn't listen to Christian music. <laughs> Probably should have. I didn't, I didn't know her very well either. <laughs> well, and, and what I'll never forget, she winked at me when I got finished. And Vince and I have always had this relationship where we didn't, we don't really get into a lot of stuff. And I felt like at that time, it was really important to Vince, whoever she was and what it was in his life, that I could help you that day in some way, shape, or form. And I can't tell you how excited I was when I figured out who she was and that you all ended up marrying. Uh, and I feel like I was part of that. Does that sound crazy to you, my friend? That sounds about right. I had a few. I mean, it was it was an interesting stretch of life. You know, I I was crazy about her when I first met her, but and, and it was vice versa. She was crazy about me, but we were both married to different people. So, well, I met somebody I'm crazy about, but that's that's just too bad, you know, because life's not going to work out that way. And then it unfolded, and and it was not it was not planned. It was not orchestrated, and those kinds of things. We luckily wound up together you know not by our own choosing so to speak but just because it was meant to be and uh, i had a few folks that knew i was crazy about her and i trusted and and woody was one of them 
Well, we might as well just call Woody the matchmaker at this point. He's uh, he's earned. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I will tell you right now, but uh, that was a that was a that was a fun. I, and you know what's crazy, Vince? I had more fun that day than I did hardly playing with all. You know, I loved it. Like you, if I see somebody wants to learn how to play golf and I can help them to play better, um, I've always been accused you don't want to play with me in a pro am because at some point I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. What a cool interview that was with music legend Vince Gill. That's one I will remember till the end of time. Very gracious for his time, and hopefully we'll get to speak to Vince again. And another non-golf legend we got the honor of speaking with was former Major League Baseball player Mickey Tettleton. And just he, he, you could just tell from conversation that we had how much he loves golf and the passion that he has for it. And we got into a little bit of conversation. A lot of people have had the debate of what is the hardest sport out there. Is golf the hardest? Is football the hardest? Is baseball the hardest? Because if the percentage it is to be able to hit major league baseball you could you can fail seven out of ten times and and still and still make millions upon millions of dollars and be a hall of famer so here's just a little bit of mickey's insight on on some of the struggles and tough pitchers that he faced uh, in his time in the major when i was out in california rick dempsey was a catcher and there was a relief pitcher for the dodgers at a time named tom needenfuer and they brought him in you remember tom don't you yeah Uh, and uh i played with both of them well, I didn't play with yeah, Denver, but I played with Needham here. Yeah, they well, they brought a he brought his mitt, his catcher's mitt, and Needham here brought a baseball, and they gave me a bat, and they backed up, you know, whatever amount, sixty some odd feet, and I was scared to death to even stand there because I thought he was going <laughs> to kill me, and uh, I I can I couldn't believe how fast that that ball came at you, and and. No, I didn't even put a bat on it at no time. Most of the time I was backing out of there so fast to get out of the way of the thing. But, I mean, to think that people actually can hit that ball coming at that speed was just incredible. Incredible. So I I have the utmost respect for Major League Baseball players. It's just amazing what you guys do. Try try facing Randy Johnson when he's (laughs) 6'10". You know, he's 6'10", and he's releasing the ball just like right in front of you. And it's basically (laughs) like looking up at a light pole. And you're you're, you're trying to hit this guy. This is is no lie. The honest God story. We were getting blown away by him one night. I mean, we had no chance. He could have told us what coming, and we couldn't have hit him with a boat paddle. (laughs) But uh, it was my third time up, and he just throws – Two nasty, nasty pitches. One was the first pitch was a slider, and the second one was a fastball. I turned around to the umpire for the fastball, and I said, that pitch sounded low. And that's the same response I get when, when you think about it. It, it sounded low. Like, I didn't, I didn't see it. So, uh, of course, the umpire had a few choice words for me and get back in the box, and I proceeded to go ahead and strike out and, and uh, speed the game up. So it's, uh, but there, I mean, it is amazing though, just, just watching these guys and, and what they can do, but just, you have to make split second decisions, uh, on guys throwing 90 plus miles an hour. And it's, it, it's still fascinating today to, to, to think about it. Cause when you put a baseball up to a baseball bat, there's not a lot of room there for solid contact. And uh, it's it's still amazing to me that that people are able to do it. Huge thanks to Mickey Tilton for coming on the show. And you heard Woody at the very start of that clip talk about the time that he got to give his give his attempt at hitting a baseball coming at him. And uh, I just want to take the next little bit to to thank Woody for for joining us on the seventy third hole. I have loved our show 
even more ever since that, that he came on. He, he gives so many great stories and the insight for being a former former tour player and finally being able to meet him at the uh, hashtag NLZ scramble can verify that he that Woody is one of the best guys that you'll ever meet on this planet or any other planet. So we're going to play you a few clips here from Woody. The first one is from the hashtag NLZ scramble that we had back on August 29th at Oak Tree. What a fabulous event that was, and look forward to playing in that event this upcoming season. And we asked Woody to analyze all three of our games, me, Sam, and Colby, and here is Woody's feedback on just how us three stack up. Woody, <laughs> you got it. From a teaching perspective, the question I always ask, Take us through each of our games. Ooh, that's ooh, a good one. one. This is good. You know, and evaluate and for the <laughs> listeners. I was, uh, I wasn't paying that close of attention, but I was paying just enough attention that I can go through it. We'll, we'll start with you, Sam. But we'd already worked with your golf swing. Yeah, we got to have a lot more trust once we get on the golf course. That's you right. go back to what mm-hmm. you have done your whole career. Probably, if you're going to make the change, go ahead and go. Don't That's be afraid right. of it. Go ahead and make that change. But you'd always told me how bad a putter you were. I didn't even come close to seeing that today because I saw <laughs> a it. lot of great putts, okay? <laughs> Colby never played golf with Colby before, and I'm thinking, okay, well, he – you know, he He's said the he radio guy. Handicap. Yeah, yeah. I, said, well, I, I didn't know what to expect. Well, I'm sneaky, though, because I only weigh about 135 pounds, so I don't look like much walking out of the tee box. Oh, so what, your, what was your gut reaction? So, well, the, the first couple of drives, he just stripes it and long. It and it. I said, for a little, little guy, that son gun can move it out there, you know, because I was very impressed with his driver. As the day wore on, I think he was thinking too much about it because then he started losing them to the right. That's but right. But his iron right game, the the fr- what was it the first hole or the second hole? On, we started on 18. Number one, I mean, you stuffed it in there, what, like three feet? Yes. Oh, number one, yeah. Number yes. one, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and let's just say this. A scramble starts the very first hole. What you really like to do is hit as close as you can so you don't really have to have a putt. We had about a 25-footer slider a little bit to the right. Colby. Colby, Colby made it. it. Yeah. Boom. Money. <laughs> I mean, right in the center of the hole. Took right. all the Boom. break out. Right in the heart. So, I was, let's just say I was pleasantly surprised there. I appreciate that. Now, now my boy Taylor. Okay. Yep. T-Dub, I knew he could play golf when he was younger because I remember back in the days, all the high school times I read about him. First off, his golf swing is so simple. Yep. I was very impressed with his golf swing. The, the thing he was really struggling with today, he's trying to keep up with you. So his That's timing, a hard task. Yeah, you're not gonna. You, <laughs> but I, I tried chasing a long time. But on the podcast, I try to keep up with Tito. Well, and, 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 <laughs> and on the radio, I try to keep up with you. Yeah, that's right. Well, and what's kind of scary is if, if you just swing within yourself, when you played your golf swing, you striped that driver. You hit that driver on a string, and you hit beautiful-looking flighted iron shots. I was – to say that I was – pleased today because I'd always made fun of it. Guys, I don't want to get out of the cart, really. I just I don't have any interest in really working at this. Y'all didn't make me work at it. It was very easy, 17 under par. I think what we need to tell our listeners is, guys, we're four pretty good golfers. I'm going to say we're not bad. We played our fannies off today and shot 17 under. So if you're playing in a scramble and somebody shoots 22, 23 <laughs> under, I want you to understand something. They cheated. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every time. Not only, not only did we have four scratch golfers and we shot 17 under, we also each had two mulligans apiece. Right. That's right. 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, no, no. And, and one of the, only one of them counted. I was thinking, so we we used every single one on the par guys, threes. Yeah. Every all, one. All of the par fours and par fives, we played perfect. It was the par threes that Always bit is. us in the ass. We played the poor. We we played the four par threes at one under. Yeah. And shot seventeen under, which means we played the other fourteen holes at sixteen under. Woody's dunking it on nine helps. Was pretty handy. Yeah. Very helps. yeah. And then we we eagled twelve into the wind too. Yeah. Taylor, right. Taylor hit a little five iron in there Ooh. about twenty feet. Sam buried it. Yeah. It was a great day. It was a great day on the golf course. Uh, that was so fun. What a fabulous day that was at the hashtag NDLZ scramble at Oak Tree. And it was great to see what we gave our holy award out for what was Shaw of the Year. That was Woody's hole out on the ninth hole at Oak Tree. Gave us a nice solid eagle and secured our victory. In the tournament, what a like I said, what a great day that was. And to honor our man Woody, here is just a few stories and sound bites of our favorite moments of the year with Woody. There's really too many to pick out, but here's just a, a few sample, including the time that uh, his one and only time he got fined on the PGA Tour, along with his love for kangaroos and his island green that he has built in his backyard. It was bad enough playing in those weather conditions, but let's go ahead and embellish his story a little bit more because then the one and only time I was ever fined on the PGA Tour would have been that day. And <laughs> once I had finished my round on Sunday or Saturday, I mean, and uh, if you guys recall at Pebble, for anybody that hadn't been there, number 10 is as far out what the fuck as you can get. So when you finished your round on nine green there, as I did, because I teed off 10 first, that's a long way away, right? Well, I'm fit to be tied. I'm not a happy camper. I put my clubs in the back of a station wagon along with a number of other guys at the clubs. We filled the station wagon up with golfers and caddies. And I get in the front seat. I'm on the passenger door. I'm still fuming, but I'm holding my own. And the the marshal, or not the marshal, the volunteer, which is even makes this story worse. And for, please trust me. I've asked forgiveness many times after this, but uh, he suggested that somebody put on my lap for that ride back to the clubhouse. Yeah, that didn't go over very big with me that day. Um, I didn't want somebody on my lap, and I suggested to him that. No, that wasn't a good idea. And he suggested, you know, I, I needed to put somebody on the lap. And then I simply opened my door and I said, I have a better idea. At which point I went back to the back of this station wagon, gentlemen, and I started pulling golf clubs out till I found my bag. As I was pulling, I was ripping caddies out of the back end of the bag with them. So, and nobody was going to get near me because if you ever saw that Tasmanian devil, that's probably what I look like. There was shit flying everywhere. I'm just going to tell you. At which I suggested this volunteer where he might want to get a rope and strap somebody to the effing hood <laughs> if he wanted to take somebody else. Well, it, it got worse. That, that's not as bad as it's going to be, guys, because then I successfully got my clubs out after clubs were flung everywhere. I grabbed my staff bag and took off walking. It's about two miles from there to the clubhouse, gentlemen. That is not a good idea. And as I was walking with my club, Payne Stewart was playing the 13th hole there at Pebble. Payne had a nice gallery with him. I was on the other side of the gallery walking with my bag towards the clubhouse, which Payne saw me and said, hey, Woody, did you lose your caddy? <laughs> At which point I gave Payne the high five salute and used the volume as loud as I could to tell him where I thought he could stick it. <laughs> so, 
by the time I made it back to the clubhouse, nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted to get near me. Um, it didn't take long. I got a phone call, I believe, two days later from David Eager, who was a PGA official that asked me to tell the story, at which point I did tell that story, exactly how it happened. I heard him start laughing, and then he came back to me, and he said, well, yeah, I believe that you deserve a fine. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Eager, I deserve a fine, and I deserve whatever you think is fair. <laughs> and he said, why don't you just write a check for $500 to your favorite charity? And we'll call this good. And I said, that's not enough. I'm going to write it for a thousand. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that was the end of it. I never, I never got fined again while I was on the PGA Tour. I was a perfect gentleman from then on. But on that certain day, with the weather conditions as bad as they were, I was not a very good professional on that day. I, I deserved everything I get. Like I said, I, I wish he would always have story time, because story time makes me look really bad sometimes. <laughs> 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 it was one time I looked really bad, but that, that was the worst conditions I ever played in. And not only did I play bad, it cost me a thousand dollars. I've I've kept my my cool in a number of ways, but I did have to ask one question of Sam again, T Dub, before we go our show's over. Um, do you have a logo of that Kansas City kangaroo? I'm sorry to go back to this, but I'm still struggling with this kangaroo <laughs> as a mascot. But you being so high on it, you're fired up about it. Do you have a? Do you have any logo you could text me or a shirt you I will could show send, me that has been? I will send you all three logos that they have. My favorite is the middle one. It's just a classic yellow kangaroo. Um, the old school one, like I said, Walt Disney made. It looks like a little bit more of a Mickey Mouse kangaroo. Um, but then the new school uh, kangaroo came in, and it looks like that kangaroo would beat your ass, Woody. Well, I'm going to tell you, I might have to go online and buy that one then. Because uh, if I could show Woody, up I will hook you podcasts, up with all the kangaroo gear that you want. Well, if I show up on one of our podcasts with that sucker on, I better get a, a, a salute. Is what I better <laughs> we, yeah, know, we have to make this happen. We have to. I, I don't even show up with my pistol firing stuff on this year, and I deserve to. I mean, I'm. I'm coming with a badass kangaroo if I get one. I like it. How about this? I'm going to pause the podcast real quick, and I want to get your gut reaction to each logo uh, from UMKC. How about that? Okay, I'm ready. So we have sent Woody the UMKC logos. Now, Woody, you got to rank them one to three, um, and also just give me your overall thoughts on all three logos and which one's your favorite. Well, it's easy on this one. The, the one that looks like Mickey Mouse, I'm out. That doesn't even get a race. <laughs> I, I'm not going to no, Even though I, Walt Disney if, made it? No, I don't care. I mean, if I <laughs> if I walked in a room with that, I'd get my butt whipped. I'm, I'm not wearing the Mickey Mouse. No, no. But now the, the, the middle one and the, the third one, that's a toss-up between me. I, I kind of like that. For the listeners, there's one where the kangaroo's kind of going sideways with he's got a mean look on his face and he's he looks like he's in full stride. But that the, the last one you sent me where he's got his fist pump and he's got the logo sweater on him, I kind of like that one. So I'd go 
I'd go the middle one second, that one first, and the third one. Who cares? <laughs> now, now, Woody, when we used to, when I was there, it was the middle logo. That the last one didn't even exist. That's very, very new yeah. within the last year or two. Um, but when we right. would wear that middle logo, like you said, with the kangaroo in stride, uh, that you see the kangaroo sideways, we would always get asked uh, where in Australia we were from when we were in the airport. We would say Kansas City, Australia. Yeah, well, of course. That's- you know, I mean, it's not like I've been to Kansas City a lot in my life, but when I've been there, <laughs> I tell you, the one thing I've not seen is a kangaroo. <laughs> I have never seen a kangaroo in Kansas City. So um, that's why I just, I'm still baffled how they came up with the logo, but I like it. I like I like both those. That, that one that you used to wear is pretty cool, but that new one's pretty neat. You know, he looks like he's ready to go whoop up on somebody. Now, T-Dub, do you have any well, thoughts here, on the logos? I, I, yes, I, I do have. So so the three logos we sent, and we'll post these on social media, but the first one looks like looks like Winnie the Pooh. So I, I'm not really sure that that <laughs> one's a very formidable creature. But the last two are, are some mar- magnificent beasts. And I just want to state, reading up on, on doing a little bit of Wikipedia research, there's apparently four different types of, of kangaroos. There's a red kangaroo, eastern gray kangaroo, western gray kangaroo, and an antilopine kangaroo. I think I probably pronounced that horribly wrong. But nevertheless, it says here <laughs> that the large males can be upwards of two meters, which is six feet, seven inches, and they can weigh 200 pounds. So, I mean, this is a, a very formidable creature in the wild, guys. I don't want to see a kangaroo if I'm just by myself. I'm running the opposite direction. No, guys, I can't believe there aren't more kangaroo mascots. I mean, it, we have, like I was at Tulsa. It was the Golden Hurricane in Tulsa. That makes no sense. Uh, so, by the way, I feel like the kangaroo is kind of more of a predator than it is than it is the prey. Well, I, I've seen those things in the wild because I actually did play in Australia one time. And T.W., you were right. They are a uh, they are a formidable animal. They are bigger than you think. <laughs> and what they do is they will kick the dog out of you. You think a donkey will kick you? These kangaroos are, are all in, all in. If they're frustrated with you, they can come after you. So, uh, you know, Crocodile Dundee, I was not. So I didn't go up to them and try to have a boxing match with them. I stayed as far away from them as I could. But they are a they are a big and a very strong-looking animal. So they're, they're not something you want to mess with. But, Sam, quit trying to push this kangaroo thing. I'm trying to get by with just you guys having it. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Golden Hurricane, you're right, but you know, I think there's only one school that needs to be the kangaroos, and you were part of it, and you should be really proud. We have Jim Woodward, aka Pete Dye, on his land building an island green. Woody, how is it going? We saw the pictures. We tweeted the pictures out. We have to start the show and ask, how is the island green coming along? Because when you said you were building an island green, I was expecting like a 10-foot little island in the middle of your little pond. No, this is like, I I feel like you're making a life-size version of 17 at Sawgrass. Well, I don't know if it's that good, but I'm watching my big old excavator move away. Uh, Man, well, I can tell you one thing. Any listeners out there building a golf course, I got a guy that will run a piece of equipment. He can build whatever you want. I mean, I I didn't build it. I designed it. If I was moving that dirt with that thing, I'd still be out there, and it would be ugly. But, 
we're nine days into this project, and I think today's the last day. We've been going back from seven to seven every day. I don't ever want to move dirt again. I don't ever want to run an excavator. I don't want to run a skid steer. I'm done. I, I got to take a break. <laughs> what do you? So obviously, last <laughs> show you said that your wife wanted the pond to be a little smaller, right? But you said, okay, that's fine. But I'm going to build an island green. <laughs> Tell the people how you even came up with the idea to put the island green in your new pond. Well, it, it's one of those deals. You know how it goes. One thing leads to another when you're doing projects. Um, Oak tree, you know, I'm so lucky that when I teach up there at Oak Tree, they've, they've got a bunch of range balls, and they don't sell their range balls. They they donate them to different programs and all sorts of stuff. So like, I, I take a bunch of the Carl Albert golf team that I work with. So, Kimmel one day said, what are you taking me boxes as you want? And I thought, well, I, I'm going to take, you know, 10, 12 of those boxes of balls. And then I looked out my back door down to my lake, and I thought, Boy, that's a cool place to hit golf balls. And so then I then I had an old two man bass boat I never used, so I anchored it out in the middle of it and I thought, Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just shoot golf balls at that. And that was fun, but that thing was hard to hit. And uh so when we started this project and it got to going pretty good, you know, and I could see what I had, I thought, you know what? I've got an excavator. Man can do almost anything if you give him a duct tape and bailing wire and an excavator hell i can go to the moon I, i'm gonna tell you what i can do whatever the hell i want to do so i'm i'm thinking oh manuel can you build this well come to find out manuel had worked on a golf course four years ago he goes oh see see i can build that and i went okay here's what i want and so i i kind of staked it out and told him where i wanted it and hell the rest is history uh as soon as i get water to come back into my lake i'm gonna have me a nice little island green it now it might not be tall grass but uh it's not bad i'll tell you what boys i'm i'm damn impressed with myself well i shouldn't say myself i'm damn impressed with manuel so woody i mean just are is this going to be the only green that you have out there is this is this the only experience we're going to get to get because you're telling me off there it's going to be about 150 yard shot, which seems just iconically like number 17 at Sawgrass. So, I mean, are you going to start inviting people out there, have some beer and stuff, and get a party going on? I mean, what are your plans once it's all finished? Well, the federal government says that my farm needs to make money. So, I might open up a little driving range. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And, and to say that I'm done building golf holes, uh, never say never, okay? Uh, I, I live on 40 acres. And uh, I got a lot of space. I mean, I could have a hell of a little part three. I couldn't build a full ass golf course, but uh, Woody, all you need to say is that I'm, you need to you need yeah, to put some lights out there. Well, uh, it's funny you should say that because uh, I had to run 550 feet of wire down to a pump, and so that was the first time I dug a ditch and pulled wire. Boys, you don't want to do that either. That is work. Uh, what I've come to find out with these projects is. I had a really good job. I still do as a golf pro. Man, this manual labor is tough. It is. I, I have a whole new respect for everybody out there that works for a living because, you know, my wife always said I didn't ever work for a living. I thought I worked pretty hard. No, no. I, I didn't work very hard at all, judging from what I've been doing out here. So uh, I needed to buy this when I was 40, not 65. I'll just tell you that. 
there are just way too many Woody sound bites that exist on this show, and there will be many more created in 2023. I do believe and be utterly shocked if there wasn't even more great stories and insight that we had from the legendary Jim Woodward. But we're going to go ahead and close out our 2022 year in review with giving what was our man Colby Powell's farewell speech on the 73rd hole. For anyone who's been an OG listener of the podcast, me and Colby started this podcast back in March of 2020, I believe. Yes, yeah, because it was we our first term, it was the Honda Classic, which was a week before the COVID pandemic happened. And for us to be able to have built this thing from the ground up the way it was and then eventually have been able to partner with Golf Oklahoma and bring Sam Humphreys on and obviously bring Jim Woodward on, the podcast just kept growing and growing and I could not be of honor, more honored to have been able to start this, this great endeavor with my best friend, Colby Powell. But he's moved on. To, to different things. He works for the Golf Channel now. He has a daughter that he takes care of all the time. So we're going to go ahead and close the show out with the very last episode we had with our man, Colby Powell. Colby, we are having you on today um, because we didn't want people to think that, you know, this situation was something that it's not. Um, and so we just wanted to all talk about it on the podcast and, you know, show everybody that we're still friends uh, and we still love each other. So with all that being said, uh, Colby, I'll just kind of give you the floor. Uh, yeah, man. I just, I talked to you guys last week and uh, reached out to Taylor, Sam and Woody. I, I think our listeners kind of know, especially those who've been with us for a long time, uh, that my life is very different now than it was whenever we started this podcast. And I've just, and I've been stressed in these last few months, the baby, the job, everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, this podcast has, is in good hands. So instead of just, you know, kind of just trying to make something work from, from week to week and uh, doing one show every three weeks and stuff like that, I've decided to just uh, permanently step down as a, uh, a co-host of the 73rd Hole. doesn't mean that people will never hear from me again. I'll still hop on from time to time as a guest. But, uh, yeah, this show is in good hands. And uh, I decided it was time for me to just, uh, step back and, and let you guys take it. So I wanted to come on one last time and uh, talk to our listener. Like you said, Sam, this is not nothing happened with the show. This, you know, no no rumors about us getting in a big fight or anything like that. I just, uh, yeah, stressed in and, and needed to, to free up some, some time and energy. And uh, so I decided to, to fully step away and, and turn this over to you guys. Y'all have been doing a great job the last few months as I've been trying to figure out how to uh, be a stay-at-home dad and have a full-time job and do all this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys. And uh, like I said, I know that I'm I'm leaving the podcast in great hands and hope that y'all keep putting out good content because uh, we've established a, a great listener base uh, and y'all do a great job. So hope everyone just cont- continues to listen as, I mean, golf is uh, in the headlines and, and newsworthy about as much as ever. A hundred percent, Colby. And that's, you know, we talked last week and I wanted to have you on one last time, you know, and, and so did T-Dub just, you know, so we don't, we've already gotten tweets about, is this about live or, or, or PGA tour when you and I argue, it has nothing to do with any of that. Colby, obviously working for the golf channel, you know, a lot of things on his plate. We are all so cool. I told Colby, you know, you don't even have to, you know, ask if you want to come on the podcast. Just text me and say you're coming on. Um, but I do want to kind of preface what T-Dub is about to say. 
with the fact that I am forever indebted to Colby Powell for everything that he's taught me, you know, on the podcast and radio side um, of this whole transition from me playing golf to now doing uh, what I do in the media. And Colby Powell was first and foremost, um, you know, with my dad, uh, you know, the two guys that I leaned on and listened to the most. So as far as from me, I will be forever indebted uh, to you, Colby, on, you know, everything that I've learned over the past couple of years. And I know that T-Dub's going to have a lot to say here because y'all started the podcast during COVID and I came on a little bit later. Um, but what we've grown here is something awesome. And so I just wanted, you know, to kind of have you on and, and let people know that we're not mad at each other or anything like that. Uh, you know, you just have other things going on in life and, and, you know, that's how it is. Yeah. Not in the slightest. And, and I appreciate the kind words, Sam. I really do. And, and Colby, I, I'll never forget to this day, when we, when of all places, you and me started talking about the podcast at a gym. I mean, we were at a face, we were going to the gym. I mean, I ain't been in a gym in two years, and 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 that's where <laughs> the, we 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 really had these initial talks of, of getting this this deal started. And you know, it's funny because I remember I, I believe it was the the first week we did it was the Paul Azinger Open, the whole, the Honda Classic. I mean, our true I mean, if you're a true OG seventy third listener fan, you'll know what episode. I'm referring to, and I'm sure Colby had been in, in the radio business for so long already that he sounded like a professional. I was just this dumbass who had no idea what was going on, just spewing random golf stuff that I had overheard or, or I looked into. And over the time of, you know, obviously his help and, and just doing this as, as, you know, not even just as a business as it's grown into, but just, you know, getting together all the time and just talking golf. You know, I loved it. I love every minute of it. I've loved every minute up to this point. And even with Colby not being here going forward, we're still going to keep producing great content, get out there. And I, I told Colby I had two stipulations whenever we first talked about this. I said, the number one is I ever need your ass, you answer the phone, you come on the show. And, and, he <laughs> that. and number two is, and number two is if you are leaving the show, you better not let anything happen uh, to baby Layla. So those are the two stipulations I gave to Colby. Just want to the listeners know he agreed to both of those. So, you know, we, we're in good hands there. Layla's in good hands. That, that's the number one priority uh, for Colby going forward. And I, like I said, we've, it's been about two and a half years now that me and Colby and, and Sam now and Woody now have been doing this. And, and it's been so great going forward. And I'm so happy with the future of the podcast going on and for the future of Colby because he's only been at the golf channel for a little bit. And it seems like every time uh, I, I go to their website, his, his face pops up there with an article. So he's, Colby's going to be doing big things, everyone, going forward. So make sure – you know, obviously, if you're going to keep checking out the 73rd, make sure to check out what Colby's doing. I don't know what your Twitter handle is, Colby. Make sure everyone knows that and they check in with what you're doing. But uh, let's just say that all of our futures collectively are in very good hands. Yeah, it's, uh, it's at Colby J. Powell if anyone wants to follow me. And, yeah, I remember starting this thing. And I, I even told told you, Tyler, last week whenever we talked, and I'll tell our listeners, when, when we first started, you know, Taylor was just so – Raw. You had never had you ever done any type of speaking into a microphone, anything like that at all when we started? Uh, besides the microphone on, on a telephone, no. I, I it was <laughs> it was all foreign language. I might as well have been in ancient Egypt trying to read hieroglyphs. Yeah, it was so. I mean, Taylor was just very raw, but Taylor knew that he was very raw. And whenever I gave him tips, he would listen and stuff like that. And, uh, I told him last week, uh, and, and again, just the the improvement is is night and day from where you started to where you're at now, just in the way you sound, the confidence, 
that you speak with. Sam, you, you too, whenever you joined us. Uh, I mean, just raw and trying to figure it out. Now I listen to you here. Uh, I get in the car. I turn on the sports animal. I listen to you there, and uh, you sound great. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to have your own show over there one day, uh, and I hope you'll keep doing this because uh, you all really do a great job. And it, it, it really has made it easy for me to focus on, on being a dad and focus on my job with golf channel and stuff, knowing that y'all do a good job. Y'all do a good show. Um, and I, I listen whenever I'm not on. I listened to the Gooch interview last week. Y'all did a great job. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of what this podcast has turned into probably more than Taylor and I thought I thought it would whenever we started it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and like I said, this isn't the last time anyone will ever hear from me. Uh, because, you know, we got major weeks. I'll probably pop on. I'm sure Tiger will get his 83rd win next year at some point, so I have to pop on and uh, and talk a little bit of Tiger. But, uh, yeah, the 73rd hole certainly has a very special place in my heart. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to go to next, you know, is Colby. I mean, if, if you think about from the time you guys started it and then when I came on, could you imagine that you would have been asking Tiger Woods questions or we're, we're sitting there interviewing Taylor Gooch, who's the you know third biggest name in the world right now in the game of golf and stuff like that. And, and just the, the things that, you know, you built and, and T-Dub built and then I came on and now Woody's on, um, just kind of taking a second to reflect on maybe a couple of your favorite episodes. To me, I when I think of you in the 73rd hole, I think of that day uh, that you brought up, you know, going up to Prairie Dunes, and then I said, let's just go up and do it, and then we, we went up there and did the live coverage, and that's kind of the day that everyone found out about us, and uh, I look back on that day as, as as one with a very fond memory. Yeah, that was my favorite day of the whole podcast, going up to Prairie, uh, you know, just the, the three of us kind of bonding on the drive up there and back, being there. I mean, we were there all day long. Ekro came on with us after uh, it was an even better day for me as an Oklahoma State alum because Oklahoma State uh, was the team that emerged victorious right. there at the end. Uh, you know, I, I ran into an old friend, reconnected with an old friend that day at Prairie Dunes who's a member up there who since then has had me up to play Prairie Dunes three or four times, I think. Um, yeah, that was just – it was a great, great day. And, uh, yeah, reflecting back from, from where we started to where we are now, um, you, you know, guys, I'll be honest, I don't think – that I would have gotten my job with Golf Channel if not for this podcast. I had a bunch of people apply for that job. And the fact that I had been doing a, a twice-a-week golf podcast for two years, I, I think it kind of set me apart as, okay, this isn't just another guy looking for a job. This is a golf guy, you know? So I, I think that this podcast played a big role in me getting that job. And, uh, yeah, just eternally grateful. Sam, I, I, did, I didn't know you. I would never met you. I had never spoken to you until we started this podcast. Uh, so the podcast gave me a, a great friend in you, uh, getting to know your dad as he has been so supportive. Uh, shout out to, to Craig Humphreys, the hunt man, for everything that he's done for us over the years, coming on as a guest during COVID and doing, you know, master's previews and recaps. Our very first stuff. guest ever, Colby. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. I just want to say our very first ever guest, Craig Humphreys. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Good call. He was our very first guest. Uh, so, yeah, all, all of his support and getting you as a friend, Sam, it's just – it's amazing – uh, kind of some of the journeys that we go on in life that we don't expect, uh, who you end up meeting, spending time with. Uh, and I'm very grateful that this, this podcast uh, brought us together and, and Woody. You know, I had never met, talked to Woody, uh, met a bunch of people in, in the golf scene in the state of Oklahoma and, and just had a bunch of good times. So 
yeah, you know, all, all great things must come to an end. And uh, there certainly was a, a, a bit of sadness that came over me whenever I decided that I needed to do this. But like, like I said, when I first got on, life's just different now. And it's, I'm not leaving with, with anything other than love in my heart for, for this podcast uh, and for you guys and for our listeners who have supported us. I mean, just totally started this thing from scratch to Ken McLeod uh, with Golf Oklahoma for, for his support uh, and partnering with us, giving us a bigger platform, just uh, everything. I, it, it, it far exceeded my expectations whenever we started it. Uh, and, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll become a fan now. Uh, and I'll look forward to the times whenever I get to come on as a guest. And one, one thing, too, I want all of our listeners to start looking forward to is me and Colby agreed to start playing a lot more golf since he's not going to be on the podcast when we have options <laughs> to. We're actually playing in a scramble coming up on, I believe, October 11th. I, I believe that's right, Colby. And, and so every time I get to play with Colby, I'm going to make sure to come on the podcast and give a full breakdown on where Mr. <laughs> .868 handicap game is. And hopefully he can progress and be a scratch goal. Oh, man, I'm back up to a 1.5 now. I, uh, <laughs> oh, no. I, I was about I to say, last time I saw Colby play at the end ALZ scramble, I, I mean, he was just throwing darts right out of the car. I uh, Yeah, I shot a 76 a couple of weeks ago, which isn't that bad. But I shot 76 and my handicap went back up to 1.5, so it must have bumped out a good one from uh, – from way back. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. Before we get out of here, I want to make sure to thank our friends at Quail Creek Bank. Are you a small business owner looking for a bank that understands your unique financial needs? Would you like to develop a relationship with a banker who knows you and your family by name? That's their mission at Quail Creek Bank. They are a family, and they consider all their customers part of their family, too. So soon come experience the difference at Quail Creek Bank today. Give them a call at 405-755-1000. That's 405-755-1000. Could not be more thankful to Quail Creek Bank and McCray Roofing for all the great support they've given us. Over the course of 2022, I want to thank all of our listeners and all of our fans out there. Just could not be more appreciative of all the great things that you do to support us and this great brand and podcast that we've been able to build up to this point. And just want to make sure to stay tuned for 2023. It's going to be an even better year than 2022 was, if that was even possible, but it's going to get better and better. There is no doubt about it. So make sure to stay tuned this upcoming week and the coming months on the 73rd hole. Big things coming. want to thank Sam Humphreys, Colby Powell, Jim Woodward for the great year that we've had, and we will continue to do great things going into 2023.